I'm so glad you're here today. I am. I mean, let's face it. Anyone from this area recognizes as you walked in today, we don't have a lot of these days left. But you're here. And I am glad you're here. Because each week we have an opportunity to be able to open up God's word. And we believe when you open up God's word, that transformation happens. We go through the books of the Bible here, or or a book in the Bible, or do some extended text, listening to the Spirit teach us, encouraging us, and convicting us. You see, God reveals who he is through the scriptures. And sometimes we get our questions answered. And sometimes we leave the room more confused. But either way, God uses his word to help us grow our faith. Now, I have to warn you today. You know, you always get some of those Warnings when you watch a video or you even read a book and, and just say some of the scenes might, and they give you that warning. You know, for us who are God followers, for those who have come to faith, for those who are, well, in relationship with God because of all that Jesus did, We read passages like today, at least initially, and we scratch our heads. We go, God, I I am trying to trust you. I am trying to understand you better. You are just not making sense. But what I also want to say today is yet I believe there's so much that God wants us to be able to learn about himself in this difficult text so that we might be able to leave differently, that we might be able to apply some of these scriptures to our lives today. We're in a series called David, The Life of a King. Many of you know of David's heroics, and some of you have also heard that he was anointed as the second king of Israel. He was chosen because he was a man after God's own heart. He had a relationship with God, and that's where we're trying to focus. He wasn't chosen because he was perfect. He wasn't chosen because he had great leadership ability. He was chosen because he loved God, and God was his shepherd. Let me try to catch you up, especially if you're newer with us. We've been spending time in 1 Samuel. And as 1 Samuel ends, we find King Saul at war with the Philistines, but still trying to chase down, well, his enemy, David. David didn't understand that. But we find out that in the midst of a battle, a Philistine archer wounds Saul severely and he dies. He dies. 
2 Samuel, and you can um, open up your, your Bible here for at least a moment. We're going to go somewhere else in a, in a second. But in the beginning of 2 Samuel, we find David mourning the loss of Saul, the guy that was chasing him down, the guy that was trying to kill him, the guy that's been relentless. He's mourning. He's mortified. He is truly sad that Saul is not the king anymore. And at this time, actually Israel, for the first four chapters of 2 Samuel, goes into chaos. It's kind of a crazy time, and I would encourage you to read it. But by 2 Samuel 5, the 30-year-old David officially takes over as king. And as soon as he does, as we read the narrative, it makes it crystal clear that this new king is different. He is way different than Saul. He depends on God, and God was with him. We're going to find out why, I think, later on today. But before we do, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we are excited about the text today. In many ways, we we do scratch our heads. But in others, this perspective of you and us being able to appear and understand who you are helps us, every one of us, in our relationship with you. We have come today, Father, to adore you, to worship you, to hear from you, to let your word change us, and we are so grateful for the opportunity to be able to come corporately and open up your word. Father, we know that our world is chaotic, and we know that even the things that are happening, we wonder how you're going to bring this to you to to glorify you. So God, we pray for those that maybe don't know you today, that they would respond to your grace today and become a son or a daughter of yours. For those that are walking with you, for those that know you, for those who have a relationship with you, we pray, dear Father, that you would strengthen them and encourage them. Father, we pray for all the other churches that are in our area and in our country and in our world who meet together, who open your word, who talk to you and who worship you. Would you encourage them, Father? Some of them are in such hard places to be able to represent you. We know that each one who obeys you suffers. You've told us that. So we pray for encouragement for the journey. Lord, for a few churches right in our area, we pray for Meadowland. And we pray for Meadows Christian Fellowship. And we pray for Wonder Lake. And we pray, Father, not only that these churches would listen to you and hear your voice and respond, but that all these churches in our area would represent you well. Father, we think of all the workers downstairs. We think of our kids who are hearing stories, who are being encouraged to trust you. We think of the faithful souls who are holding babies. 
Father, we are grateful for the families you have brought, for the kids that we have an opportunity to teach, and for the parents that we get to partner with. There's so many other ministries that are going on, Lord, whether they be studies or, or, or whether they be outings. We have opportunities to connect with one another. We thank you, Father, for Taste of Crosspoint, which was a faith endeavor last week. We're grateful again for, for folks that came out that, that were newer and that we had a chance to be able to welcome them and be able to give them a little bit of what this community is about. Lord, continue to help us be faithful to you. Would we continually lift you up? Would we honor you by preaching your word carefully and accurately? And would you, Father, do a work in each one of us today? We thank you again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, this may not make a lot of sense for most of you because um, we're going to talk about something called the Ark. The Ark of the Covenant. Not the... Noah's Ark that held a bunch of animals and birds, but an Ark that was so very, very special to the children of Israel. This Ark was much more than a piece of furniture. Back in Exodus chapter 25, when God gave Moses the instructions of what would be in the tabernacle, how they would worship God well. One of the things he described was the Ark of the Covenant, Exodus 25, starting at verse 21. This is what the scriptures say. I will meet you there, God says, and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the Ark of the Covenant. From there, I will give you my commandments for the people of Israel. Now, you see a little bit of a graphic there. And this is a microscopic uh, kind of replication of what the ark might look like. We don't know. We actually don't have any pictures of it. But, but there's a pretty good description. It's kind of a box with some cherubim over it. And, and there was a uh, an altar right on top and and there was place for poles which we're going to be talking about so the ark could be carried from place to place but from the very beginning what god said is is that i want you to know that this represents my presence among you that, that this is something, now God, the almighty God, the omniscient God, and the omnipresent God is everywhere. But for the children of Israel, this was a special box that said, hey, when this was in our possession, God was with us. So it was a big deal to the children of Israel. But when David becomes king, the ark is in the enemy's hands. It's not even in Israel. 
So what I'd like you to do is turn to the book of 1 Chronicles. As I said, the details are in 2 Samuel, especially 2 Samuel 6 and 7. But we get a whole lot better picture in the book of 1 Chronicles. So if you could turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 13, I'm going to start reading at verse 1. Chronicles chapter 13 starting at verse 1. David consulted with all of his officials, including the generals and the captains of his army. Then he addressed the entire assembly of Israel as follows. If you approve, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send messages to all the Israelites throughout the land, including the priests and the Levites in their towns and pasture lands. Let us invite them to come and join us. It is time to bring back the ark of our God, for we have neglected it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly, the the whole nation agreed to this. For the people could see it was the right thing to do. It's the right thing to bring the ark back. It's the right thing to be able to acknowledge who God is, that that we have a new king and we are going to adore this God. We want God's presence. This is a statement. This is a good thing. This is a nation that's just plain out, flat out, excited to have God around. Kind of a fresh start. So the scriptures tell us that he gathers the people, David. 30,000 troops, army folks, and Levites. Levites, by the way, were those that did much of the work within the worship environment, in the tent, in the tabernacle. And it mentions two Levites, Uzzah and Ahio. Hmm. Uh, These two Levites put the ark on a cart, and the celebration begins. Look at verse 7 and 8 of chapter 13. They placed the ark of God on the new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, Uzzah and Ahio, were guiding the cart. David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might. Just take this picture. Singing songs, playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. This place had gone bonkers. Everything was good. The people were unified. They were ready to bring the ark home. They were ready to make a statement. We want the almighty God. We want Yahweh as part of our national heritage. Let's bring that back. Let's put it in the tent. And let's make sure we begin to worship God the way he intended us to worship God. As I said, everything was good until... One of the oxen stumbled. They stumbled. And and right there, one of the Levites that were walking along, Uzzah, stuck his hand out. Let's read. First Chronicles chapter 13, 13, starting in verse 9. 
But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah and struck him dead because he laid his hands on the ark. So Uzzah died there in the presence of God. Verse 11, David was angry because the Lord had burst out against Uzzah. He named that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah as it is still called today. But David was now afraid of God. And he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God back into my care? So David did not move the ark into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obedim, e yeah, the house of Ol, of Gath. And the ark of God remained in this house for three months. And the Lord blessed this household and everything he owned. During the trip, God struck down Uzzah. Uzzah wasn't doing anything bad, at, at least the first reading. I mean, the, the oxen had stumbled. The cart was jostling. This ark perhaps would have come out. And all he did was steady it. What was God doing? It just seems so random. And so we find out that David got angry. He got ticked. What is going on? And I think every one of you could understand his response. Maybe he was just kind of thinking out loud or maybe just quietly, but he's saying, hey, hey, God, What's the deal? I'm your man. I'm the one that is making a statement. I'm the one that's saying, we want your presence. I'm making you a priority one. We're bringing it back to Jerusalem. What are you thinking? Look, I'm listening to you. I want to do what you want. Well, at least that's what David thought. The people, look around God. They're all celebrating. They're excited about your presence. When's the last time that had happened, God? And now you kill a guy trying to protect the ark. God, really? Really? And that's so much of our response when we don't understand how God works. I have a question to ask you. Have you ever been angry with God? Have you ever been angry with God? Maybe some of your conversations might go, Hey, God, (laughs) I'm your man. I'm your woman. I'm one of your kids, God. I'm listening to you. You're my priority, God. I celebrate you faithfully, God. So why, why, why? Why did I lose my job? Why did I lose my wife? Why did I lose my health? Hey, God, I'm one of the good guys. God, why didn't I get promoted? Why didn't I get that date? 
Why didn't I get into that school? Why did I have to put down my dog? <laughs> God, why are people responding? Why are kids leaving? My kids, they used to love Jesus. God, what's the deal? Why the lack of, and we fill it in. And sometimes when that happens, we get angry. And we start blaming God. And we start shaking our fists at God. And even there are story after story that say, you know what, I don't want a God like that. I was supposed to be following you. God, you're supposed to be taking care of me. And look at my life. Look at this situation. Look what is happening. I'm mad at you, God. I'm done. I'm done. But God's reasons are always different. Hard to find. Sometimes they're really easy to see, but but most of the time we don't understand all that God's doing behind the scenes or what the future's gonna look like. We just don't. We have that ability. But I do know his ways are always right. At times in my life and probably in your lives, arrogance creeps in as if we really think we know what is best. Excuse me, God. If I was running this show, <laughs> I wouldn't make a mess of this like you're making a mess. Now, honestly, some of us probably wouldn't say that. Because we would probably lack a little courage. But our arrogance creeps in and our faith is diminished. And as we read this, at first reading, God seems harsh. He just does. Hey, what about that forgiving God? What about that gracious God? What about pulling, you know, Uzzah aside? Hey, Uzzah, you know, um, that probably wasn't the best thing. Ah, uh, no. Boom, lightning, he's dead. I don't get it. Yes, this was God's plan. And sometimes as a teacher or as a preacher, you read things like this and you go, how about if I just skip chapter 13? We'll just buzz right over to chapter 15. There's really a lot of stuff in chapter 15. But God has a lesson for us here. It is God's plan that this happened. But in this case, it was not God's way because obedience was partial or mostly. And we're going to get into that in a moment. But you know what is really cool? And this is what we're focusing on. Hey, David was angry. He was angry for a moment. We don't even know how long he was angry. It doesn't tell us, hey, for two hours he was angry. For one minute he was angry. Or for a week he was angry. But I think it was a short time. And his anger turned to afraid. David very quickly went from anger to fear of God. Because he knew God. He had a relationship with God. And I think David actually took a breath. 
The only thing I know that helps anybody switch gears from anger to fear or respect is having a clear perspective of God. As Dave already mentioned, and some of you were with us last week, but I think people who have the Lord as their shepherd switch quicker from anger to respect. People who walk with God and recognize the good, good shepherd, how he operates, even in spite of our lack of knowledge or understanding of the future. But people who have the Lord as their shepherd, what I've noticed, they recognize that God really is in charge. They also recognize that God only does things that are right. In this case, I think David saw that there was sin involved. I think people who have the Lord as their shepherd focus on the truth about God rather than what the enemy says about God. Because our culture today says a whole lot of things about God. You know, what is it? Why would you follow a God that allows you to get cancer? What is that all about? Well, that must be kind of a dopey God. Well, well, wait. No, no, that's not true. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord will walk with me. The Lord will give me everything that I need. And I'm not even understanding why at this moment, but my shepherd is with me. And even when I walk through dark times, you know what I know? I know that he is there beside me. That's what I know. Now, once David came to his senses, whenever that was, I think he feared God. The scriptures tell us at this moment that he did put the ark in a safe place. But I think he took time to look at his response, to look at his actions, to go before God and say, God, what is it? What do I need to change? What do I need to hear? Where do I need to grow? And the scriptures tell us that it was about three months. Now, we learn about David's response after this time from anger to fear or respect. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 15, starting at verse 2, and then we're going to jump down to verse 11. Then he commanded, after he spent some time, after he thought about things, he realized that what happened was wrong. Then he commanded, no one except the Levites may carry the ark of God. The Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to serve him forever. Verse 11, then David summoned the priest, Zadok and Habithar, and these Levite leaders, and a few other ones. And he said to them in verse 12, you are the leaders of the Levite families. You must purify yourselves, all of your fellow Levites, so you can bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I've prepared for it. 
Because you, Levites, did not carry the ark for the first time. The anger of the Lord our God burst out against us. We failed to ask God how to move it properly. So the priests and the Levites purified themselves in order to bring the ark of the Lord and God, the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel to Jerusalem. Then the Levites carried the ark on their shoulders with its carrying poles, just as the Lord instructed Moses. This time, David did it right. God had a plan, and this plan involved the Levites. The Levites, before they were going to move this, apparently had to go through some purification rites. They're going to be in the presence of God. This is something that's critical, even today. It looks a little different today. When we come to God, when we repent, when we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us so that we can go into God's presence. Leaders failed. They disobeyed God in moving the ark. Try to get this. They had the great motives. In their opinions, they were doing a great thing. They were bringing the ark from a pagan nation back to the core, right in Jerusalem. They had a special tent all made for it. They were bringing God back. They were going to honor God, but they did it a wrong way. They did it in a way that they thought was right. If you go back to Numbers 4, you can put that in your notes. You will see that God goes over very clearly how to move the ark. And it has nothing to do with a cart. has a whole lot to do with putting poles through some rings and having the Levites carry the ark. Well, the cart, I think, was easier. And the cart was nicer. And the cart didn't involve as much work. Don't we do that sometimes? Maybe choose easier rather than obedience. Maybe thinking, hey, I can do it this way instead of listening to God completely. I just think they chose the easy rather than the right. And David and his entourage went to the household of Obededom for the ark. Now, there was dancing and shouts of joy and blowing of horns. But what was a little different this time, the scripture tells us after a few steps, they stop. Not because someone was killed, but they were overwhelmed by God's grace and they started to make sacrifices. Their whole attitude was different. Their whole demeanor was different. They were doing things the way that God intended them to do it. And as they started this journey, overwhelmed again with God's grace, just stop, let's stop. Let's bring sacrifices. Let's pray to you, God. You are amazing, God. You are an awesome God. And the scriptures tell us, that the procession then continued to the tent in Jerusalem. 
And in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, we find that the ark was given a special spot and the praise fest began. In fact, in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, I'm just going to read through various verses of this chapter, trying to put in perspective what David saw, what was happening as a result of this unbelievable act of faith. And on that day, David gave Asaph, his fellow Levites, this song of thanksgiving to the Lord. So everybody is gathered, and this is what they're singing. Give thanks to the Lord. Proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Sing to him. Yes, sing his praises. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. Exalt his holy name. Remember the wonders he has performed. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Each day proclaim the good news he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Great is the Lord. He is worthy of praise. He is to be feared among all gods. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Worship the Lord in all of his holy splendor. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. And all the people shouted amen and praised the Lord. Corporate offerings and prayers and lots of worship and praise before ending with people shouting amen, yes, and praises to God. Wow. Was this just because the temple or or because the ark ended up in the tabernacle? Was it just kind of a one-off event? Was that, hey, we're just really glad it's here now. And, and maybe no praise or no prayer or no celebration after that. Was this just the one time of dancing and exaltation and just so grateful for who God is? And then maybe all the rest of the time just kind of sit back? I don't think it was. But as we continue the story, we're going to jump into 1 Chronicles 17. And, and there's a few months that have kind of um, gone to the wayside. And, and the ark is there, and it's in a tent. And David gets this idea in 1 Chronicles 17. He says, you know what? I've got a great palace. You know what? This is, well... That tent isn't very honoring to God. Why don't we build him a temple? And at first, even Nathan heard about it, says, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. But again, I think there were some lessons learned here. This is a great idea, even good intentions. Let's make a spectacular place for God to be present and for the ark to sit. Oh, sounds good. But it wasn't God's plan. As you read on, that eventually did happen, and it was God's plan for Solomon, David's son. But not for David, for various different reasons. Great idea, good intention, but not God's plan. 
And I think what's exciting here is we see some growth. Nathan then hears directly from God and actually speaks to David on God's behalf. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 17. We're going to start at verse 7. This is Nathan telling David what God, what God's word is. Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you, David, from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all of your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel. And I will defeat all of your enemies, David. Furthermore, I declare that the Lord will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and join your ancestors, I will rise up or raise up one of your descendants, one of your sons, and will make the kingdom strong. And he is the one who will build a house, a temple for me. And I will secure his throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. And I will never take my favor from him as I took it from the one who ruled before you. I will confirm him as king over my house and my kingdom for all time. And his throne will be secure forever. David hears these words. He's overwhelmed. He knows the kind of person he is. He's recognized it just a little before. Again, he he was, well, angry, took things out of perspective, and he can't believe what God just told him. Not only am I king, but you are going to keep this kingdom going for your glory, not for mine. And this is how David responds, starting at verse 16. And put this in perspective. This is a man responding to God's grace, a man who is a man after God's own heart. He says this, who am I, O Lord God, and what is my family? that you have brought me this far. And now, O God, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. You speak as though I were someone great. Oh, Lord God, what more can I say to you about the way you've honored me? You know what your servant is really like. For the sake of your servant, O Lord, and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have made them known. Oh, Lord, there's no one like you. We have never heard of another God like you. What other nation on earth is like your people, Israel? What other nation, oh God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You have made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles. 
and drove out nations that stood in your way. You chose Israel to be your very own people forever. And you, O oh God, became their God. And now, O oh Lord, I am your servant, as you have promised according or promise concerning me and my family. May it be a promise that will last forever. And may your name be established and honored forever so that everyone will say the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, is Israel's God. And may the house of your servant David continue before you forever. Do you you believe that? He didn't deserve it. But God, out of his grace and out of his sovereignty and not even understanding all the things, decided to do this for David in order to honor his name. This is a great story. It's about a great God and about a man who is after God's own heart. First of all, I'd be remiss if we, if we didn't just talk about God for a little bit, just as we talk about how amazing and wonderful. But our God is holy. Our God is pure. And, and any time we sin, any time we sort of obey... We do life on our own. And it's really hard. We know we have a God who is gracious. We know that initially because he sent his son, Jesus, to die in your place and in my place. But he continually graces us. And ultimately, God is God. I know we all want to understand him completely. We want to know why certain things happen. But God has been faithful. And God, over and over and over, has honored his word and walked with those who walk with him. Now what's Exciting after you understand all that God is. We kind of have some takeaways that will help us focus on a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart. And, And as we just even talk about that, we recognize each one of us, no matter where we're at, that selfishness runs deep. It just does. We have this bent often that we just know more than God. And then sometimes we even try to serve God or or do things partially, that we have great enthusiasm. But God desires more than enthusiasm, obedience. And that partial obedience doesn't work. God wants his kids to listen to him. Just listen to him. God wants his kids to obey him. God wants his kids to trust him. We need to remember that a relationship is critical and truth is always necessary. 
a rich relationship like David had with God helps us through the times we don't understand. And even if God acts in a way that we ought to know better, like happened in our story, we're able to talk to God, listen to God, allow him to change our perspective. When that happens, repentance is normal. We come to a place and recognize we've offended you, God. Change us, God. Give us new perspective and a new mind. And what you will find and what I will find is as we obey, there is true joy. Joy. Before I pray, I think I'd have to at least talk about worshiping God with dancing, praising, shouting, and all the other things that happened. Sometimes, especially in my world growing up, I'm a Swede. And in the land of Swede, there are no emotions. Sorry, but that's kind of where I was from. And, and the greatest bit of praise might be, well, I'm not sure. But I do know this, is that no matter what country you're from or what family you're from or what tradition you're from, there are times when worship overtakes you. Maybe the tears start falling when we started singing about the goodness of God today. I couldn't finish very well. I just couldn't. I think, again, what's so amazing is as we see God, as we respond to God, as we recognize his mercies, recognize every time that we fail, he forgives us as we come to him. And we don't deserve this. We don't deserve his presence, so we take a few steps and we have to put the altar down and we just have to put sacrifices. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I don't deserve this. Why are you doing this? And sometimes you may dance. Oh boy, I'm not a dancer. So I think my dance is maybe a little movement. All right? And maybe someday... It will grow to that. But I know this. Sometimes we restrict. And we have a great God. No one's going to judge you whether you raise your hands or not. Whether you shout. Whether you play an instrument. And some of you probably shouldn't play an instrument. You shouldn't. But I tell you this, is that we have a great God and we can celebrate him and we can honor him. And may we all grow in our worship to our great God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for showing us who you are. God, we don't understand you sometimes. But we know this, you love us. You do. And your grace and your mercy force us on our knees.
Praise just comes out. And you are a good, good father. Lord, would we grow in that relationship? Would we grow in our faith? Would we grow in our expression? Would we grow in our repentance? Would you, God, be honored? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.